Welcome in, Rick Gaiman here, and this is a brand new episode of 300 Yards to Unknown, and I'm very, very excited about this one because I've got Lou Stagner on, and if you follow Lou on Twitter, you know exactly where this conversation is going. It's big data and how it relates to our game of golf, and it's fascinating stuff. Lou and I, um, I wish I could say we think at the same level, but we're kind of in the same universe, but he is so sharp with all of this data and now with his work with Arcos, which is an on-course system that recreational players can track their own data. We are just living in a world where there's more information than ever, and Lou is on the forefront of taking that data making it usable, communicating it to guys like me who can hopefully pass it on to everyone else. It's it's fascinating. I'm really excited about it and I hope you enjoy. All right, let me welcome in Lou Stagner and Lou. I'm super excited about this. Obviously, the intersection for us is kind of big golf and or big data and golf and I don't know if there's anybody better than you to chat with this about. So, thank you so much for the time. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, Rick, thanks for having me. Uh, looking forward to the chat. Yeah, so I, let's just start with uh, the, the general background, right? I mean, we are now living in a world in 2022 where there's a ton of data in the world of golf, but it hasn't always been like that. So how, how did you get started to become this, uh, you know, this data nerd like I am? And, and where did, how did you now get connected with, with Arcos, which I'm excited to chat about? Yeah, so I've been uh, I've been working in analytics for over 20 years now uh, in corporate America. I was working in analytics before they called it that, a computer okay. science grad, and got into software development, and that morphed over pretty quickly into what they called reporting back then. Uh, and then as that field grew, I expanded out into you know doing more and more of it, and and now. Um, I work for a company in corporate America, a large privately held company, and I run the analytics team and we do everything from simple basic reporting to, you know, machine learning, predictive analytics and everything in between. Um, and so I've been uh, been in this field for a while and I started in golf. Uh, boy, it's been a little bit over three years now. Um, and I started with just creating a blog on golf analytics. And I told my wife that I was going to create a blog on golf analytics to kill some time here in the Northeast. And she was just, she shook her head and she's like, you know, you are so much fun at parties. Um, <laughs> and I did it to honestly, to kill some time. And I never thought that it would amount to anything. I never intended it for, for it to amount to anything. And now I get to do some, some really cool stuff and get to chat with some really cool people. So it's been a really fun ride. Yeah, your your Twitter feed alone is just a a treasure treasure chest of unbelievable stuff. Things that I couldn't even have considered. Uh, whether it's you know distances and elevation, uh, driving distances and elevation change, or putts made throughout the day, all of that good stuff. But we we haven't always been here, Lou. Right? I mean, it used to be used to be fairways and greens. It used sure. to be putts per rat. Like, how did we? get here because it feels like the evolution of golf data it's going a million miles an hour at the moment well i think we all have uh, brody mark brody to thank for that right and and yeah. so so much of of what's happened is has been because of strokes gained and he created that back you know to i think his first paper was maybe 2008 2009 don't quote me on that 
And you would probably know this better than me, but I think um, strokes gained putting was maybe 2011 on the PGA Tour when they first implemented that. Yeah, they because first most put people play. don't realize that even when the shot link era started, uh, they didn't putting wasn't broken out separately, right? And then that, that they, came later. Yeah. Well, they actually, and in, 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 again, I don't know all the details on it, uh, but from what I've from what I've read about it. They started ShotLink 2004, and I think right. they were tinkering around with it a little bit before then, but they had all this data and they really weren't doing anything with it uh, in the early years. And, and so when you went on the PGA Tour website back in 2005, there there was no ShotLink shot level information available. It wasn't until Brody kind of came along and engaged with them and came up with the concept of strokes gained uh, and implemented that. And they first started with putting and then they expanded that to the rest of the game. So, you know, the reason we're here uh, is Mark Brody with without a doubt. So we all have him to thank for that. And then it just continues to grow and expand. And, and there's lots of really neat things that uh, people are doing with it. Yeah, there's and there's a lot of different layers of that. So let's start with the top guys, the the professionals who have access to their tournament rounds, the strokes gains, the shot link metrics. We're seeing, I, I think, a lot of the younger guys, a lot of the guys that are coming up through college who are who are kind of always been in the data world. They seem to embrace this a lot quicker. But now it's almost like unlocking a key for some of these guys who have been on tour for a while to know, hey, is this a risk reward shot that I want to take on? Is this a, a course that sets up well for me? There's a lot of different ways that the highest level of player is deploying this this newfound data. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, and I think um, a lot of credit is owed to Scott Fawcett. Yeah. Um, so Scott Fawcett created Decade. And so Scott took what what Brody created with Strokes Gained. And then he wrapped some math around that to figure out how it could be used to sort of untangle course strategy. Right. Um, and it, it's just a, it's a it's a fundamental way to play the game. Um, I think of I think of golf like blackjack. Um, and when you go play blackjack, so you live in Las Vegas, you know more about blackjack than I do. Uh, but the first time you go and play blackjack, they give you, if you've never played before, you get a card. I'm sure yeah, you've seen little, those little, cards. Little chart, yeah. Right, a little chart. And the, and the point of the, those charts are here's your basic rules. Uh, and these are the rules you want to follow given the situation. And they give you that and you follow those rules to optimize your odds long term. Now, the house always has the edge, but right. you try to optimize your, your odds as, as much as you can. And course strategy is really the same way. You're trying to optimize your odds. Um, and if you really want to risk it um, at the casino, you can start to count cards. And when you count cards, you can adjust your bet size. And, and when the count's in your favor, you bet more so you can win more. When the count is not in your favor, you bet less so you can win less. And I think of strategy the same way. When things are going really well for you, um, you can adjust and you can get a little more aggressive. And when they're going really poorly for you, you can adjust and get a little bit more conservative. And that's one thing that a lot of golfers don't do when they're playing bad they often press which is the worst thing you can do that's what you shouldn't be doing uh, that's what you shouldn't be doing and so you should you should always adjust towards the conservative when things are not going well which is for guys like us that's probably more often than not that's fascinating. I've not heard the counting cards to golf strategy analogy yet, but it makes complete sense. And and I think that's what we're seeing guys try to do in real time, right? If you're Bryson DeChambeau, you can pull driver everywhere. But I guess 
there has to be some real-time aspect of it of saying, okay, I don't have my best stuff today. My dispersion might be a little wider than I would like it to be. I'm going to go conservative as opposed to just saying, ah, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to go all in and be aggressive here. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, that's a great way to think of it. And that's how I, that's how I look at it mm. is when things are going south, um, your shot dispersion is going to get bigger. Uh, and when your shot dispersion is getting bigger, we're, we're going to need to adjust a little bit farther away from trouble. Um, mm. And, and it's, um, you know, there's no perfect science to it. We're always guessing. We're, we're guessing about a lot of factors. But, you know, hopefully when you put enough, uh, enough effort into understanding your own patterns, the situation, you can apply things as intelligently as possible. And that's certainly better than doing nothing. It's certainly better than standing up there not knowing what to do or how to do it uh, or just always firing at the flag. Those are things that are going to end in higher scores for you. Yeah, it's it's so it's so fascinating. And, and a lot of the pros they at least know what their strengths and weaknesses are because it's so easy to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm Victor Hovland and I rank 180th around the green and I know that that's something that I need to work on because it's easy to compare myself to my peers. Are, are you understanding or are you under uh, the impression that a lot of tour pros are using these advanced metrics to at least identify their strengths and weaknesses, things they should be working on, and then kind of taking the next steps after that? Yeah, there's clearly a, a lot of tour players that are looking at this information and they're looking at it probably in more ways than uh, what you would find on pjtour.com. Yeah. Uh, you know, you just brought up around the green and, uh, and around the green, um, when I look at it, um, when I'm working with a player or coach, uh, I don't just look at it in terms of what they gain at a round level. I, I look at it in terms of what they gain at a shot level uh, because not every player yes. gets the same number of attempts around the green. It's a counting and, stat. Yeah. If yeah. you're missing more greens, you have an opportunity to gain more around you the You have green. an opportunity to gain more, right? Like, so <laughs> it put in, you know, basketball terms to make it easier for people to understand. If you average 10 free throws a game and I average seven free, free, uh, free throws a game, um, and let's say that, uh, you know, you made 6.8 out of 10 per game and I made – 6.5 out of seven per game. Right. Uh, yes, you made more than me per game, but I was definitely a much better free throw shooter than you were. Uh, and so per you know, shot basis is a is per a shot basis of... for some things can be a, another way to look at it. I don't want to call it better, but just a different way to think about it. And I imagine we're going to continue to evolve. I mean, I've had kind of scratch the surface conversations with some guys about using it to set their schedule, right? What courses set up well for them? Um, how, how do they do on different levels of rest? It se it's seemingly like golf metrics is going to turn into like trucking logistics, right? Just the optimal path to everywhere and making sure that the body is in the best shape. And you when you get to a course, that's it's one of the better spots for you. Now, that, of course, Lou only goes for the guys who have the luxury of really choosing their schedule, not having to right. tee it up every single week. Yeah. And, and we, you know, you can use stats to understand and make some of those decisions. So um, do you, do you have a home course you typically play at? I do. There's a, okay. a, a, a course out here called Paiute. They have three courses actually. Yeah. So I get perfect. To, you know, so, so pick one of those courses. Does the wind generally blow the same direction most of the time? Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> that happens at, that happens at most golf courses, right? You have generally a prevailing wind. Now, anything can happen on any given day. And I'm just giving you one right. example of how a player might think through how they pick a golf course. Hmm. Players have differing levels of skill depending on wind direction. Um, so there are some players, we'll take like off the tee, 
Um, hitting as a right-handed player with wind at your back is generally the toughest wind for a right-handed player off the tee or any shot. But there are some players that are impacted a lot more than other players. There are some players, when you put it in context of how much they would gain per round. It's easier to think of that on a per round level instead of a per shot level for driving. There are some players where with a wind at their back, they would lose three quarters of a shot more per round off the tee compared to a wind on their chest. Why is that, Lou? um, That's a really good question. Um, (laughs) We we asked a few players uh, about that, or I've asked a few players. We had Victor Hovland on our podcast last year, and he actually does really good in a left-to-right wind. And I asked him that question, and I said, why do you think you do so good in a left-to-right wind? And he said a couple of things, but one of those things was, I just, I think I aim a little bit farther left than I used to. Um, and so I th- sometimes I think that's what players are doing is is the wind is causing more of an impact to, to move their ball to the right and they're just adjusting enough to the left. Um, but knowing that about your own game uh, and knowing what a wind typically does at a golf course is something that a player could look at to say, this course maybe sets up well for me. And it's one of just one of the many things that a player can look at to try and figure out what might suit their game. I love that. I love that. Well, it's it's not only the pros, Lou. The recreational players are getting access to more data as well because with this great technology, launch monitors are becoming more prevalent. And of course, you can get a TrackMan for tens of thousands of dollars or for a couple hundred bucks, you can get something that, quite honestly, for me, the difference between a yard or two, not a big deal. I don't need it to be super accurate, but we've never been in a time where 15 handicaps know or have the ability to know as much about their game because of launch monitors and eventually like the Arco system that we're going to talk about. But I I think for guys like me, knowing the data we've never known before is actually even more valuable because I was dealing with nothing previously. Yeah. um, Launch monitors have come such a long way. I actually just just got a new one. Um, uh, I got the Bushnell Launch Pro. Okay. Um, which is the same, it's the same exact model as the, the Foresight GC3. GC3. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's great. It's, it's, it's amazing. I absolutely love it. it. It's clearly the poor man's GC quad, um, but it gives me such incredible information. Uh, they've benchmarked it against the quad and it's very accurate. Awesome. Um, they're not paying me to say any of this. I wish they were. <laughs> if they want to, they can reach say. out. Yeah, yeah, I will they, also they can, say whatever they would like. <laughs> yeah, they can reach out, but it's it's great. And the information that I get from it, not only ball data, but the club data that comes okay. with it is so helpful. And when you're working with an instructor and they give you things to work on and things to look for and things to shoot for, we now have information that tells us exactly what we're doing, where previously we were probably guessing or we may have been, if we were diligent, taking you know an old uh, camcorder to the range with us and trying to film us in you know horrible quality video. I did that 20 plus years ago, uh, and it was useless now that I think back at it. But yeah, it's come so far with what's available for players these days. I'm so glad you mentioned that because you really do. You know, if I slice a ball. There's a variety of reasons I could slice a ball, right? And when you are start getting into not only the ball data, but the club data and the angle of attack and your club path, all of that stuff allows you to kind of find the root problem that you can say, okay, this is what I need to work on to hopefully then fix the slice, not just figure out a way to hit the ball straighter. 
right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, it's so valuable. I'm uh, working with an instructor remotely now, and I am able to send him all my data. Um, and I have a couple of other toys that I, that I tinker with to, to send him data and give him information. And it allows us to have these very effective lessons remotely. He doesn't have to be here with me. He can see and know exactly what's going on and provide guidance. I also send him some, some video of the swing as well, but it's, it's, um, we're able to do that where 15 years ago, it would have been very challenging to do that effectively. Right. That's awesome stuff. Well, you recently, as of a couple of months ago, joined the Arcos team, Data Insights lead. And this, this, my ears perked up, Lou, when I saw this, because I'm, I'm an Arcos guy. Uh, I've yeah, got the nice. sensors. I've got the sensors on my club. I think I measured 22 rounds or something like that last year. And this is even the next step. This is not launch monitors. This is on course data. Every shot that I'm hitting is being tracked by that little sensor and it all goes into whatever the computer system and it can pump out strokes gained for me. This to me is, uh, I feel like the Jetsons when, when, I'm, when I'm getting this information, I feel like I'm in the future because of how valuable and how real time it's coming in. Yeah, it is an amazing system. I was super excited to, uh, to join there and get to be a part of it. And when, when they unlock the keys to the database, so they have nearly half a billion shots, B, half a billion with a B uh, of amateur data. Um, there's so much that I can, I can do with it. And I've already started to put a, a few things out on Twitter here and there. Um, and uh, there's so much that we're working on that we have coming as well. It's, uh, I'm a kid in a candy, kid in a candy store getting to play with all that data. Uh, and it, it's taken, you know, people like me, I have been tracking my stats on the golf course for over 20 years. Mm. Uh, and I had this very intricate system. If you looked at one of my scorecards, it would have, you know, looked like a hieroglyphics. So you wouldn't have been able to interpret what was going on there. I tracked everything and I would come back and I would put it into a spreadsheet. Uh, and there, it takes a special personality to put in that kind of effort to yeah. track that level of detail. And something like Arcos just allows you to turn on your phone. Um, and I don't know. Let's see. I have one right here. A link. Do you have one of the links? I have a link. Yes. Yeah, I, I, my first 10 rounds, I didn't. And then I got yeah. the link and it was awesome because I can just, yeah, you clip it on your belt or whatever and you go on about your business. Clip it on the clip it on the belt. You turn out, you start your round before you play. You can actually leave your phone in the car if you wanted to. You don't even need to have your phone with you. Put the link on the belt, go play. It tracks all your stats for you. Um, and then when you're done, you get a tremendous amount of info to help you understand on-course performance and and it a lot it enables golfers that don't um have the you know the uh, I, I guess the uh I, I don't know what the correct way to say but the diligence that i had with doing things by hand um it allows them to get some great info i love it well 1800 of those half a billion shots are mine now nice that seems that seems like uh, what do you that's so much data lou that i imagine can take you in a bunch of different directions how do you begin to even say, okay, here's something I want to learn. Here's something I want to dive deeper into because it feels overwhelming when you say half a billion shots. Well, um, it is overwhelming in quantity, uh, but with what they're tracking and how they track it, uh, it it's, um, it's easy for me to, to walk in and look at their data set and say, I'd love to look at this. I'd love to look Got at it. that. You know, one of the things we're looking at right now is uh, that we've just you know, sort of worked through 
is looking at how challenging a short-sighted shot how much it changes the challenge level by how much green you have to work with. So think of a 20 yard shot. If you have a 20 yard shot and you only have four yards of green to work with because you've short sighted it, that's extremely different than a 20 yard shot where you're a yard off the green and you have 19 yards of green to work with. Those are not even in the same, in the same league. And so we, we can understand that now based on all the data that they capture and the detail in which they capture that data. And we can look at that and we can now, we're going to, I'm not, I don't want to pull the covers off of too many things, but there's some really cool things we're going to be able to do with data like that to help golfers out. Well, helping golfers out, I feel like is probably the reason that most people buy it, right? When I bought it, I, I love the data. I just kind of wanted to see my see the way my strokes gain metrics lined sure. up. But at the same time, I want to get better, Lou. Like right. I want to learn what my strengths and weaknesses are. I want to learn what my actual distances that I hit clubs are, because that to me, you know, I, I have a distance if I absolutely pure one uh, and right. I've got a distance if I hit it a little fat and all that stuff. But knowing kind of what your average is in real world scenarios, that alone made me so much better, which makes me think that most most people could make really big strides in their game by just knowing a little bit more about their game. Uh, that's a great way to put it. Uh, so what, what's your index now? You're about a six or something-ish? Six and right a half. Yeah, yeah, six and a half. Yeah. Um, so what's the most important thing for a, for a six handicap to work on? What do you think? Uh, for me, it's 100 yards and in. I don't know what right. it is for everybody else. <laughs> yeah, you answered it the right way. That's the right answer. And that's the beauty of a system like Arcos is, you know, there isn't one thing. It's player specific. Yeah. And when you take a look at players, so players at your level, I can actually pull up a stat here and I can tell you in two seconds. So at your level, the biggest difference between skill gap is with putting. So at your level, if I look at all six handicaps, the okay. biggest gap between the, the when you look at all of the skills, so we have off the tee, approach play, around the green and putting, those four categories. And when you look at the best in each category versus the worst in each category, putting has the biggest delta between okay. the best and the worst. So the best putters, are, are much better than the worst putters right. when you compare all of the strokes gained categories. And putting, it's almost four strokes. So I could find a six handicap that puts four strokes better per round than the worst putting six handicap. And they're, they're both, both six sixes. Handicaps. Yeah. They're both sixes, <laughs> but there's four shots of difference in their putting skill. Wow. And so the importance of a tool like Arcos is if you don't have that, you don't really know. You're probably guessing a little bit. There's probably some bias in there that yeah, you are hurting yourself with by not really understanding those numbers. But when you have a tool like Arcos and you understand what your weakness is, you can focus on your weakness. That's kind of information you can give to your coach and say, here's what I'm doing on course. Oh, by the way, you know, here's what I'm doing in practice with my launch monitor data, but here's what I'm doing on course. And you can see that I have this huge weakness in putting or approach play or off the tee, whatever it happens to be. And that allows you to intelligently focus your practice time to work on a weakness, which is going to help you get better a lot faster. Yeah. And people, they want to see scores come down and it's, it's knowing what to work on. If I only have 30 minutes or 60 minutes to do something, maybe I'll just go bang drivers or maybe I'll go to the putting green and actually work on, you know, my 30 footers. There's actually something um, interesting, Lou, and I, I, I wish I remember who I heard this from, but basically 
the recreational golfer, uh, from what I understand, they should really only be practicing like putts from eight to 30 feet, something like that. Because every, you know, from three feet and in, most people are generally the same. Uh, from, you know, 40 feet out, two putts, sometimes there's three putts. But that range in the middle is where you can kind of make up a lot of strokes instead of making sure you're not three putting from 12 feet or something like that. That, that really starts to add up when you're talking about 18 holes, 36 holes, 100 holes. Yeah, um, so I'm going to push back a little bit on some of your distance ranges, ranges there. And uh, Brody covered this in Every Shot Counts. And uh, in Every Shot Counts, five feet is roughly a, a pretty good distance to, to work at. Um, and the way that I think of putting for amateur players is, you know, inside of three feet, most of us are, are pretty solid inside of three feet, um, you know, definitely inside of two feet. Um from that, like two feet, three feet, depending on the skill level of the player, out to about 10 feet, those are makeable. Uh, and you have a lot of putts in that distance range. So those are really important. I would spend, if I had no time to spend on putting, uh, or if I had minimal time to spend on putting, that's where I would focus. I would focus on that range. I wouldn't practice so much the 10, 11, 12 feet mm. out to about 20 feet. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hit any putts in that range. That's kind of the purgatory where you're going to make some of those. We don't want to three putt those, you know, it, it, it's speed control is manageable because we're still close enough. Right. For amateur players, once we get outside of, again, depending on skill level, anywhere from 16, 17 feet out to maybe 22, 23 feet for the lower index players, um, outside of that, we want to start to work on speed control. Okay. Um, and that's really all we're focused on at that distance is just get it close enough so I don't three putt and speed control is going to drive almost all of that. So inside of 10 feet, roughly, um, don't look at anything from 10 to 20 feet, roughly, and then outside of 20 feet, work on speed control. I love it. I and love the, it. the last thing I'll say about putting, <laughs> so inside of 10 feet, you want to make sure that um, you're getting every single ball to the hole uh, from right. that range, as many as you can. Now, we don't want to knock it four feet past. We want to have good speed control, but you want to make sure you're getting it to the hole. The farther away you get from the hole, the more your pattern, short, long, should be about 50%. So on the PGA Tour from 50 oh. feet, they leave about 50% of their putts short from 50 feet. 50% are long from 50 feet. So for amateurs, that gets a, it's a lot closer for amateurs. So when you get out to that 30, 35 foot range, um, you want to have half your putts finish short, half your putts go long because your, your shot dispersion north south, so short long, is so big. We want to center it over the hole and that will reduce the second putt um, by, by taking that approach. If you're trying to get everything to the hole on lag putts, you are going to take more putts to get the ball in the hole. Like when I, I still, when I play with my buddies, you know, they'll have a 40 footer and somebody will leave it four feet or five feet short from 40 feet. And they'll say, Oh, I got to get it to the hole from that distance. No, you don't. You just have to get it close enough where you have a reasonable chance to make the next putt. <laughs> That's the only goal. See, I, I love this. Cause, cause when you start getting into you know, what your baseline skill level is. And of course, everyone is different. You, you do this thing on Twitter that I love, which is basically manage your expectations, which right. I think is so critical. And most people, uh, and I'm guilty of this as well, don't know how to manage their expectations. So I'll, I'll give you one from a tweet that you sent out uh, at the end of last year, basically how often amateurs are getting up and down from 20 yards in 
the rough. Now, an eight handicap. That's a that's a pretty good player. Eight to eight to ten handicap right. is only getting up and down from twenty uh, from twenty yards twenty eight percent of the time. And you right. know that if you're not getting up and down, someone's they're they're swinging their club, they're they're smacking their leg, they're disappointed in that. When really, everyone at your skill level is only doing it twenty eight percent of the time. Yeah, um, I think uh, I get some really interesting direct messages on manage your expectations. Uh, they're always they're always fun to read. Uh, the one you just uh, talked about is around amateur players. I put a lot of those tweets out there about professional players, uh, and the and the comments are always enjoyable. The direct messages are always fun and interesting, but I think it's important to understand expectations that are you know, relevant to, to your skill level. Uh, because I've found that there are players that have expectations that are extremely out of whack from what's yeah. reality. And so let's say you're, you, know, you talked about 100 yards and in. Uh, and I know you have Arco Stato and you can back this up, but let's say you didn't and you thought that you were a bad wedge player. You thought you needed to improve your wedge play. Um, but you were really a decent wedge player. And what happens, I think, with some players is because they have these warped expectations, when they hit a shot that's actually a reasonable shot, a good outcome, especially a good outcome for their skill level, they start to give themselves a hard time because they think it should be better. And when they start to give themselves a hard time, ironically, they then start to become worse at that skill because now they are... They're putting themselves in, in a position where maybe they have some anxiety now about hitting that shot or they're, they're getting down on their game and that is going to per- cause them to perform worse. So understanding what good is, I think is a really important part of the game and it helps you to stay sharp mentally on the golf course, which at golf at any level having a solid mental game is such a key piece of the puzzle. And I think managing your expectations contributes to you being able to do that better. Do you have any theories on why our expectations seem to be so warped? Do you think it's watching the professionals on television? Do you think that we only remember our best shots? Why, why so often seemingly are our expectations way off from reality? You know, that's a great question. Um, I have no idea. And golf, you know, I, I, I'm a Bills fan, so look, go Bills. Um, I don't think I can throw a football like Josh Allen. Um, I don't think I don't, you can I, I don't know. I don't think I can dunk like LeBron. Right. Um, why do I think I should be able to hit iron shots like Colin Morikawa? Um, I, I, I shouldn't, but for some reason, golfers have these crazy warped sense of ex- expectations. I think golf on TV maybe drives some of that because – most of what we see on TV is one, the PGA Tour is, they're the best players on the planet. Of course. And most of the time, we're only seeing the players that are on the top of the leaderboard. So right. we're watching the best players on the planet on a heater. Um, and that's, that's all we have, you know, and for most of us, it's, that's all we have exposure to. Um, and sometimes the announcers can can kind of feed the narrative a little bit and i, yes. and I don't, i'm not picking i could never be an announcer um i would stumble over my words i would look foolish but i think sometimes they feed that narrative and it's pretty incorrect and occasionally i you know i, I playfully beat them up a little bit over it 
Uh, but I have, uh, I'll just say I have tremendous respect for all of them. I couldn't do that, but sometimes they're way off base with some of the things they say. And yeah. I think people hear that and they kind of translate that to their own game and it causes problems for what, you know, they think is good or bad. Yeah, he's got a wedge in hand. He hits it to 18 feet. Oh, he's going to be disappointed in that one when really that would make him like the greatest proximity player on planet Earth if he did it every single time. <laughs> yeah, like I posted a video last year and, and I'm not going to I'm not going to say who the announcer was, but it was JT and I he might have been out in a desert course somewhere. He might have been in your neck of the woods somewhere. And he was at a desert course. It was like a 190 yard par 3. And he hit it, and the announcer said, ah, you know, he flared that one a little bit right. He's not going to be happy with that one. And it finished like 18 feet from the hole, <laughs> and he gained three-tenths of a stroke on his approach play, and it was like the you know 12th best shot in the field that day. And I'm thinking, how can he possibly say that? That's a phenomenal golf shot. You know, there's nothing right. bad about that shot. And, you know, we see that, and we hear that, and we expect pros are hitting it to – you know, six feet all day when they're just, they're just simply not doing that. It, it really is. I, I understand how people would then, you know, that would be their baseline expectation. They would look at themselves and say, I should at least be hitting this green when maybe you shouldn't be depending on your, on your skill set. But it is, it is fascinating stuff. And I love the, the idea of being able to manage your expectations. Um, I want to go back before I get you out of here, Lou, because you know, the, the conversation around leaving half of your putts short and kind of half of your putts long I've never really heard that before. And it really got my brain going of like, yeah, I guess I guess maybe I should have an equal split because I just keep hearing, well, you can't make a putt that you leave short, right? And I and I feel like my brain has never heard leave, you know, be 50% on both sides of the hole. That is only when you get to a certain distance away from the hole. So the farther you get away from the hole, remember yeah. we talked about inside of 10 feet, you want to get everything past the hole. Um, and as you get farther away from the hole, that split needs to move more towards 50-50. So on the PGA Tour, that 50-50 split where 50% are short and 50% are long happens roughly at around 50 feet, you know, give, give or take. For amateurs, I'll just make up a number for a somebody at your level, a six handicap, that might be 32 feet or 33 feet, you know, roughly in that range. Yeah. So from 33 feet, you want to be about 50% short, 50% long. From 20 feet, we don't want to leave 50% short. From 20 feet, you're going to have a little better speed control. We want to get more to the hole to have more that are going to have a chance to go in the hole. Um, so maybe 30% of your putts are going to be short uh, from 20 feet. You know, just kind of making some numbers up out of thin air right. for that skill level. So the farther you get away from the hole, the more you want that pattern to be 50-50. When you're in tight, inside of 10 feet, you want everything past the hole. Leaving putts short, you're leaving, you're leaving strokes on the table. Um, but you just, again, from inside of 10 feet, you have to make sure you're not running in four feet past. Um, so does, does that make sense? It does. It gives yeah. me something to chew on. I'm going to start taking notice in my own game. That's very, uh, that's very actionable. I love that, Lou. Uh, Lou Stagner on Twitter. Lou, you are awesome, my friend. I, I really appreciate you coming on and everything that you do because every time you tweet or every time I see something, it, it gets my brain going. Uh, the data's right up my alley, and I, and I really appreciate the time. Uh, thanks for having me on today, Rick. I really enjoyed the chat.